Hey there, welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 202. My name is Mike Anello, and joining me today for this episode is a returning guest from not too long ago, uh, Matt Glaman. Matt, welcome back. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. We had you, as far as like the podcast episode number, it was 188, which seems like it shouldn't be that long ago, but we had kind of a slow summer and fall um, with releasing podcasts, so it was actually a, a little bit earlier than that. Um, well, a little bit further back than the number indicates. So just to remind everybody, um, we had you on uh, Podcast 188 to talk about uh, your book, um, Drupal, oh my gosh, and I totally forgot the title, Drupal Development Cookbook or Drupal 8 Development Cookbook. I panicked there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're having you on again because you actually just updated it. So there's a second edition and there's some really cool changes, I think, um, to the second edition. So uh, I was a big fan of the, of the first edition. So we figured we'd have you on, talk about what some of those improvements are for the second edition. But also give us an opportunity just to talk to you about Drupal Commerce in general and where Drupal Commerce for Drupal 8 is at, um, what you're currently working on, and kind of what the future holds, and just kind of a general Drupal Commerce check-in is, is kind of what I was thinking. Um, so just to remind everybody, you are a senior Drupal consultant for Commerce Guys. So you are one of a handful of people who get paid to build out Drupal Commerce. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, that Yep, one of the few, one of the lucky. So let's talk about uh, the, your book first. And when we were emailing back and forth about this, um, you sent me kind of a little quick blurb about what the changes were because I, I think I asked, like, what's, you know, what's the big change for the second edition? Um, and we're going to dive into some of these um, a, a bit more, but I kind of, I like the summary a lot. So, I, you know, I have it in here and I'll just read it. Uh, so it's, quote, the biggest changes were dropping Drush Download, which uh, I'm a big fan of, dropping it. Um, uh, you uh, updated the Entity API chapter. Um, let's, I should probably read the quote considering that's what I'm trying to do here. Entity API chapter updated to remove boilerplate code and use entity access permission handlers in uh, Entity API module we wrote. Web services completely written, so I definitely want to talk about that a bit. And uh, the plugin chapter updated with a new example. Um, so that's that's what you wrote. Um, so I think the first thing I want to touch on is this move this this move away from using Drush DL um, to using Composer for downloading modules. And I don't think this change is unique to you know the, your book. I think it's something that most and I have to be very careful here, I'll say Drupal developers are kind of going through right now, or hopefully maybe even at the tail end, where a lot of people who are responsible for the Drupal code base as opposed to pure site builders, um, a lot of folks are now using Composer um, and specifically the, the, the Composer template that's available on GitHub for managing their site um, their site code base. So tell us a little bit about kind of what went into your thinking for kind of moving away from Drush Download and, and kind of focusing more on Composer. So in the first iteration of the book, I really had wanted to not talk about using Drush Download and Composer require only, uh, but it wasn't quite fixed yet in core and it wasn't really the, you know, it was didn't have the community push. And this time around, 
Drush announced that it was going to remove download support, and so was console. So throughout the entire book, anytime that a module or theme is added, it uses Composer and it helps walk through how to use Composer at a basic level. Um, and the reason why, and that's kind of getting a big push too through a lot more modules besides Drupal Commerce and Address. Because really when 8.2 and 8.3 were catching steam, it was mostly because of Search API and the Address module that people even were forced to use Composer. Um, but now I'm starting to see more random contrib. They're like, I don't have to rethink this logic. And they're saying that you have to install using Composer because there's some third-party SDK that does half the logic for them. And the module is kind of like just a bridge to that library, which using Drush, there is no way to download those libraries. Yeah, I feel like, and I, every time this subject comes up, I always, I always say this is a whole other podcast. And it really is to talk about um, kind of the Drupal community's evolution from using Drush DL or downloading modules from directly from Drupal.org to Composer. Um, and it's definitely an evolution and there's there's you know there's a certain segment of the Drupal community that is convinced that using Composer when you're building any Drupal 8 site is the way to go. And there's still a segment that is kind of somewhere in the middle, like I'll, I'll use Composer if I have to, but most of the time I'm still gonna use Drush DL. And then there's this other segment where they know that Composer's out there, they know that maybe they should be using it, but it's just not, they're just not there yet, just not part of their workflow. There's also a segment that just whole out refuses, and I see a lot of comments about that, that they don't see the benefit or how, or like why they should use it. And the best case is one that Ryan, Ryan Strama has even said is, do you want to be your package management? Do you want to manage your dependencies? Like, why did people like Drush download? Or like, my favorite one was Drush EN hyphen yes, a module I don't have yet. Because it would download all of my dependencies I needed and then enable them for me. And I didn't have to think about it. And that's the convenience of Drush is you don't have to think about it. Composer, it takes the thinking out of it. Yes, there's quirks and those quirks aren't really Composer's fault. It's the Drupalism smashing into the Composerisms. That's kind of like the bottleneck, but where we were, you know, months ago is much more streamlined now. Yeah, it's funny that you brought up, you know, Ryan's take on um, people using Composer as a dependency manager. He was one of the folks on the panel at Drupal Camp Atlanta. Um, There's a keynote panel of um, uh, for contributed module maintainers, and he was one of the three panelists. And he actually had a, he said something very similar to what you just attributed to him about, you know, being your own dependency manager. Um, I think the phrase he used was, you know, composer is a dependency manager. Humans shouldn't be dependency managers because humans aren't always very dependable, which, you know, it, it got a nice laugh, but it also made a lot of sense where, you know, managing dependencies is not a business that anybody really wants to be in. Yeah, it, it, there's too much thinking involved, um, especially as we become more, you know, that there's one downside to using outside code is it adds complexity and dependencies. But the trade-off is there's less complexity, complexity in your own code base. And it's like, well, we have machines that can figure out dependency graphs, and that it's better to have machines handle that complexity than to have legacy code or just, you know, do-it-your-own-way code that might 
that you have to maintain forever. Without going too deep, you know, into this whole, how do we all use composer in one one form or, or, or another, or how do we how do we get to where we need to be? Um, I know that you have worked on a project. I didn't put this in the rundown, so I'm sorry if I'm blindsiding you with this. But you you've worked on a project called uh, uh, Ludwig, a Ludwig. I'm not sure what the yep L- Ludwig, like the composer. Um, yes, there you go. I should have put that together about three months ago, but I'm just now putting it together that you said it. <laughs> um, which uh, it's described as a manual alternative to Composer. Um, and I think I've seen it on the address module um, specifically. So what is that? And kind of is there a, is there a long-term goal with that project or w- w- what's behind that? So Ludwig was a deaf composer. Um, so that's kind of the play on the naming for it because one, the composer icon is actually a conductor and then Ludwig was a deaf composer. So think of people that are deaf to using composer, they reject it. Ludwig is their solution. And so what Ludwig does is it's kind of our, our shim to make people happy that don't want to quite adopt composer yet is it allows modules such as address, commerce, um, as far as I know, all of the Drupal Commerce dependencies have a Ludwig.json. We actually had somebody go and write patches for the 20 different payment gateways for the 2.0 release. Um, it allows you to manually list a, your dependencies to be downloaded. So it, it hard sets the, the version. So you say, you know, it's going to be Doctrine, Collections, this version. Here's the URL to the archive. And what Ludwig will do is it provi- it has a UI, Drush, and console commands. Is it will download that archive and register it to the Drupal namespace. It will hook it into the autoloader. And there was, Boyan started it and I helped him with a lot of the commands and linking it in. And with Boyan having written like Composer Manager and all that, there was something that changed in the namespacing or like a light bulb that went off that realized, yes, we can inject the namespaces at an early enough time to work around the composer generated autoload file. So it allows people to download vendor libraries and hook them into the Drupal namespace. So that way they can be autoloaded. But the problem is that if a version changes or anything like that, it's not manually synced. And if one, if one dependency says, I need this version, like 1.14, but then another one says, I need 1.42, they'll conflict. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't actually do dependency management, but it just hooks into the autoloader. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like it does everything Composer does minus the dependency management, where it will go out, it will, you know, when, when you tell it to, as you said, either through the UI or through a Drush or Drupal console command, it will go out and get that dependency, put it in the right place, hook it into the autoloader, but it really puts the onus on, and correct me if I'm wrong here, on the module developer to make sure that, and I think you called it, it was a Ludwig.json file. It makes the maintain, instead of, you know, instead of Composer being a dependency manager or the, the end user, it's now making the maintainer be a dependency manager, which isn't, is unfortunate. Um, but also we don't want to alienate users. A use case for this is the authorize.net module for Drupal Commerce. 
Um, we had to write an SDK because the authorized .NET one is proprietary, so we wrote a GPL guzzle-based SDK. And to get a fix in, we had to take a new beta of the SDK. Well, luckily we remembered to update the Ludwig.json, but I was about to commit the patch and the patch in the module would break without the updated SDK. If you're using Composer, it just, you know, it would have quote unquote just worked. Um, but luckily we caught that the Ludwig.json had to be patched for the, you know, the SDK change. Okay, so I don't want to, I could, I have more questions about Ludwig, but I don't want to get too far in, into that. I, I think, um, let's, let's step back out of this and let me ask you kind of one more kind of general question is where do you see, and I was going to say five years out, but that's way too long. So I'll say like two years from now with Drupal 8, you know, development, is everybody using Composer at that point? Is there some... Is there some new tool in the Drupal ecosystem that hides some of the composer complexities? I mean, where, where, where's this all going to land if you had to guess? So in two years, everybody will be using composer, whether they know it or not, is how I'll put it. Um, we have Pantheon and Platform. Both, well, Platform has always supported composer-based builds. Pantheon is definitely taking an initiative on working with that. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in two years, Pantheon has a UI where you turn on SFTP mode and they created a, a, like a mini composer UI inside their platform. Because that's, that's the audience they adhere to. When I think of Pantheon, I think of the users that are more site builder agency. They don't want to touch the terminal. Um, so I could totally see in the next year or so they have something like that, um, you know, I started working on a tool called Conductor, which is a Composer UI. Some There's a private source tool called Composer Cat, which is really slick in a Composer UI. Um, eventually, Drupal Core could have parts of Composer in it to support patch updating and maybe installing, you know, what if we re rewrote the update module to have parts of Composer um, that doesn't need the executable, but it has the libraries available to do some basic dependency resolving. Um, there's issues there that, you know, like just the CPU power, you know, you couldn't run, you couldn't run it on a remote. Um, so there's lots of things going on. Um, there's lots of different people tackling this problem. Typo three is tackling this problem. There's a tool called Composy.io, which is like a software as a service composer.lock resolver. Um, so definitely within the next year, I think more people will be on board with it and using it because as Drupal adopts Composer, we're also pushing fixes into Composer, fixing our integration into Composer, and we're starting to see the CPU and like cache size drop, um, which, and dependency conflicts as well. Um, so I, I think within a year, most people will be on it. Whether or not they know it. Or there'll at least be tools that let them, you know, there'll be more tools available. All right, very good. All right, so let's, um, so we're actually talking about your book. So that, I have to remind myself of that. Um, <laughs> so no more uh, Drush DL. Um, let's, uh, the, the next thing I want to bring up here, and this is something where I think we might disagree, which I always love um, when I get to disagree with anybody. Um, when I was kind of going through the second edition, um, 
you have a chapter in there about extending Drupal, writing, you know, custom modules. And the one thing that kind of jumped out for me from the very beginning is that um, in the book, you were talking about writing a custom module, and I'll say basically from scratch, opening up an empty text editor, creating a new file, giving it, you know, info.yaml name and starting to type. Um, where for me, I am a big proponent of using the Drupal console um, generate command. Um, and even when I teach, I'm actually teaching it this week. I'm teaching a, a, a Drupal, mod, Drupal 8 module development class to people who some may have created Drupal 7 modules, some have some PHP experience, but from day one, we're using the Drupal console scaffolding capabilities. Um, so I'm kind of interested in your thoughts. I know that you, you actually you, you bring Drupal console and the scaffolding capabilities into the book in a, in a much later chapter. Um, but I'm just kind of interested in your opinion on why when you talk about building Drupal modules, um, why not use or why not talk about Drupal console from the beginning? Yeah. So I, I'm all about Drupal console. Um, but I think of it this way. I have a six-year-old who's in first grade. They're learning math. They're starting to do addition. Should I give him a calculator to learn math? Or should he do the paperwork and look at, you know, like pennies and add pennies together? What will teach him better? Not using a calculator. So and like I think of it as you, if you show somebody Drupal console and how to scaffold code, they're going to find the easy way and not learn the basics. Yeah, I think there's a middle. I think there's something in between pennies and a calculator, though. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, I, like also, I find, like, to, to, to scaffold a module, it takes me more time to type in the Drupal console command and the, the, all the steps than to write the info.yaml file. Um, I also has, have reservations against it. I know we're going to talk about the Entity API later. Like, the cons like the, some of the scaffolding, I don't agree with their code style and the code that they give you. So that's also the big part of it too, is I don't like their generated code except for generating console commands. And I feel that people need to understand how to write it themselves because if it's generated, they don't understand how it works. Yeah, I think there's definitely a danger there. And I think, you know, like I said, I was just looking for something to disagree with you on. Um, I'm not sure I actually completely disagree with you on, on a lot of that. I was say, like event subscribers, like I haven't used console to generate an event subscriber, but that's the case there because it's just a lot of boilerplate code. Um, so it could save time. I've used it to like, I know somebody wrote a pull request for the Drupal Commerce stocks. And in there we say how to create a checkout, like a checkout plugin, checkout pane plugin and scaffold it using Drupal console. I personally don't like the code it generates. So it's not what I would recommend, but it's also a quick way. It's a lot simpler to tell people somebody to do that and mess with the code than to like write 10 different steps. See, I think the difference in what you and I are, are, are talking about here is though that most of the time when I'm teaching people Drupal 8 module development, I'm not going as deep as writing a custom event subscriber or you know creating a, a custom entity type. I'm at, at a... At a a lower level. I'm not sure what the right, if it's higher or lower, but I'm at the level of let's create a, a module. Let's learn what a controller is. Let's learn what a basic plugin is. Um, let's learn how to use form API. And for stuff like that, I find Drupal console immensely useful because it, it allows us to 
get to kind of the meat of, of what we're trying to build. I can completely understand where you're coming from, though, when you are doing things that are not kind of entry-level um, module development, or having a very opinionated view of what that code should look like. And if Drupal Console isn't giving that to you, then yeah, it might be costing you more time than it's saving. And I, so I definitely think that's it. It's definitely a personal opinion because I have a specific way that I like things to look. Um, if I wanted, like, if I, I used the entity generator just to, like, quick prototype something by far because that's a lot of files to create. Um, but the one reason I did leave it out of the book, and I thought I made mention of it in extending Drupal, maybe it was just in the entity API, was just so that way people had to type it out and learn that base work. And I would fully recommend if some if it's faster for some people, like do it. If you know how it works, save yourself time because time is money. All right, so I want to get to the entity API stuff because that chapter is is phenomenal now. Well, it was good before, but it's I think it's really strong now. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, um, and I think I probably said this the last time we talked. Your chapter on plugins, um, plugins for me for Drupal eight are, are might be my favorite thing about Drupal eight in that how easy it is. And it, it, a lot of that has to do with, you know, going back to Drupal console, how easy it is to use Drupal console to scaffold up a plugin and then see all of the methods you need to, you, know, you need to, you know, tweak out and, and populate and then be done. It takes kind of all of the, all of the, 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 the labor intensive parts of writing a plugin out. And the fact that for me, for the, 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 the work that I typically do for clients, I find myself, if I'm writing a custom module, 80% of the time in Drupal 8, it's some plugin. And I would say out of that 80%, 80% of that is it's either a custom widget, a f custom formatter, or a custom block type. Um, so if you're interested in doing Drupal 8 module development um, and you have some familiarity with Drupal 7 module development, Personally, I think the chapter on plugins is worth the price of the book alone because I think that will get you up to speed in a very quick um, fashion to get to like what most developers need to know for Drupal 8 module development. And I want to add the biggest way to customize Drupal Commerce is through plugins. Um, you know, the add to cart form is a form display which means that you just need to create form widgets. Um, the checkout, checkouts are plugins, checkout panes are plugins. Um, you can customize a lot of Drupal Commerce out of the box by just creating different field plugins. Are things like payment processors, are those plugins? Yep, so yes, payment gateways are plugins um, tied to config entities, but all you need to do is just create a payment gateway plugin Technically, payment method types are plugins. I mean, every so uh, there's a lot of deep technical details, but um, plugins power a lot of our architecture because they are so simple. You know, so we're by the time this podcast comes out, so we should have a few betas of the recurring um, system out, and like subscriptions are all based on plugins, from what I understand. Um, the new commerce reports it has a plugin-based architecture for generating reports. So it's definitely a key concept. All right, very good. Let's get back to Entity API because um, this chapter is, is, is really, really strong in the second edition. Um, it seems like um, 
it, it's pretty much completely rewritten or almost almost completely rewritten? I would say it was a 50% rewrite. Okay. Um, kind of take us through it. Because, uh, you talk about both uh, config entities and content entities um, and kind of what it, you know. Well, I guess let, let, me, let, me, let me back up. Let me start off with a very general question and that'll kind of be our gateway into, into this chapter is when, when do you need you know, to use Entity API? Like when you're building a Drupal site, under what conditions would you find yourself thinking, hmm, this feels like you know, a custom entity type? Okay, so under that condition, under that thought, like why would I need a custom entity? When you want more control or if... I like to think like in Drupal 7, everybody abused the taxonomy terms and nodes, but those also had like some overhead that you didn't always need. Um, so this can be a case where you just have some kind of unique storage requirement. Um, I'm trying to think of one now. Um, I'll take like a, let's take a Drupal Commerce approach because that's just what I know. Um, so in Drupal Commerce, we have an interface called Purchasable Entity Interface. As long as your entity type implements that, it can be bought. Um, so there, like, let's say you don't really need like the whole product and product variations architecture. You just need like widgets. Like people can just buy a widget. It's this thing that has a price. So you could generate your own custom entity type that's called widgets, and it implements that interface. That lets it say like, this is the store it's for. This is its price, and then you can have full control over that that entity type and how it interacts with your system and how people are able to purchase it. It's more so just about like control. Um, for an instance, I'm working on a new version of Contrib Kanban that is Drupal 8 based. So I created a board entity type and a list entity type. So a board contains multiple lists. And I did that instead of, you know, like, you know, sublisting nodes because I don't need node access. I don't need a path on lists. I don't need all this extra functionality. And it just lets me have tighter control. All right, very good. So let's break that up. The, what you were talking about, I believe, is more on the content entity front. How about on the config entity side? When, when would someone need a, you know, a custom config entity? So someone would want a custom config entity. Um, any, I'm trying to think of a use case outside of bundles. Um, because a bundle and for an entity, a content entity is a config entity. Um, most of the time you could get by, you could, here's a, here's a big air quote. You could get by with the typical like config object. Um, but having a custom config entity type could be when you need multiple versions of some kind of like config set that needs to be exported and imported. Um, where it doesn't make sense to be a full-blown content entity. So is it, is it fair to say like when you want to specialize a content entity, you can specialize it and then whatever the special sauce is for each of those special specializations gets saved as a config entity? Well, no, not quite. I'm trying to think. Let's, so, let's say you had an RS. Maybe this is how the aggregator module and core works. I'm not sure. Um, I haven't tested it in a while. You have... Uh, you want to display RSS feeds on your website. Um, you don't really need it to be a full-blown content entity which saves this data in the database to just say, here's a title and here's a URL. If you wanted to, you could use the config entity type. 
that saves it as a config, you know, it can be exported to YAML and says, this is the title, this is the URL, I load them, and these are all the RSS feeds I should parse. Um, so that, that could be one example. You don't need the full, you don't need the field API, you don't need, you know, like database storage. You just need to say, I need a title in RSS and I don't want like this epic normal like config settings. The chapter on entity API, what can people expect to, you know, to be able to do or, or like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is how in depth does it go? So it goes in depth to the, I, I'm trying to remember the config. I think in the config entity type example, it actually shows like a, a site-wide notification or a site-wide message. And the config entity are different messages and you can pick what's the default message to display. So that, that's, that's an example right there. So you have a set of like emergency messages that might show up on a school website. And a school administrator can go in and just pick one of the existing ones to display. And I think in the past, I mean, there were, and I've seen sites like this where people have just created a new content type for that and created four or five nodes depending on the notification that needs to go out. And then they'll just throw the appropriate node on their homepage. Yep. Um, and so this would, you know, mitigate that, you know, this way it could just be a lightweight, you know, YAML file, like lightweight object instead of a full blown entity that uses a field API and all of that right, such. Right, 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 right. Um, from there, I believe it goes into a, you know, a content entity type that doesn't use bundles. You know, you don't need different types of it. You just need this thing that has these fields. Right. There's not different variations of it. And then it goes into how to make a content entity type which uses bundles, like nodes and content types, taxonomies and vocabularies. All right, very good. Um, I do want to move on to the web services stuff because this is where there's a lot of momentum in the Drupal community and making the web, making you know Drupal cores web services better and exposing um, more services with more robust APIs. So kind of tell us a little bit about that chapter. Okay, so that chapter was a complete rewrite and was honestly one of the, my main motivators besides the AP, entity API. Um, when I first wrote the book and I sat down to work on this chapter, I almost cried. Um, because the rest AP, the rest module was not what I was expecting it to be, or didn't it? It kind of was set aside to get eight, Drupal eight out the door, and then it finally got the love it needed. Um, before there was one giant config entity you edited to turn on and off rest routes. Now each rest route is its own config entity entry, um, so that it goes into how to add the REST UI module to enable and disable and modify those config entities through the user interface. Um, now the REST API isn't tied to the HAL JSON module. Like you can just work with normal JSON. You don't need to have some special serializer, which is great for me because I didn't like working with HAL and JSON when I wanted to just, you know, toss something together. So it goes through how to use the REST module with normal JSON for getting, posting, patching entities. And it talks about the new hot sauce on the block, JSON API and the Contenta CMS, which is just Drupal with JSON API. Um, and kind of shows how to get started with headless Drupal um, from the, you know, as a quick little jump start. So are there, so there's examples in there if you want to create your own web services? 
yeah, there's not maybe not so much examples because you could write a whole book on how to do that. Um, which actually, if anybody is interested, this this kind of shows like a, a high level overview of how to use the core REST module to enable and disable and customize um, endpoints. And then does a brief introduction on J the JSON API module and how to work with it. So it's kind of like a good primer to just expose. But I, I do believe that Drupalize.me has a whole course on JSON API module and like API first Drupal, which if that's what you really want to get into, I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, but this kind of if you are feeling adventurous, this section gives you enough to like start diving in and working with it. But if you want like to be really immersed and you want like maybe a little bit more introduction, I would recommend that course. All right, very good. Um, anything else new in the book that you wanted to mention? Um, I think that's about it. Not too much really changed. I know I had to update the CLI chapter because Drupal console went through like three rewrites. Um, um, getting a lot of it was just kind of maintenance, you know, things got fixed. The, the minor release cycle, some people have been complaining because it's changing too fast and too long. Um, which I guess I could see six months, you know, that is kind of fast pace, but it's fixed so many things. So much has changed and improved that like it's blown my mind. And that's why I wanted to redo this book because it did cut away so many, so much cruft, like, you know. Chapter 12, their web services was completely useless in Drupal 8.3. Um, so luckily, or maybe with 8.4, but luckily this came, the book was released right in Vienna in time for that. Yeah, I, 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 I think I understand the feeling of like having something out there that you're proud of, but then there's a section in there that you know is useless and feeling like it's potentially doing more harm than good being out there. Yeah, that was my main concern is the book would be out there and might not be, it would be out of date. All right, so let's, um, let's move to, um, well, here, so let me mention again. So it's, uh, the book is called Drupal 8 Development Cookbook, second edition. Um, it's available um, you know, pretty much anywhere you can buy books. We will have a link in the show notes directly to it if you are interested. And so definitely check that out if you... You know, if you're if you want to get into, um, I, I would say I mean you cover a lot of stuff, but um, for module development, custom module development, it, it really is it, 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 it's a great source. So um, yeah, definitely check that out. Okay, um, tell us about. So I know that uh, Drupal Commerce, uh, I believe it's two point one is out as of early November. It's now actually oh. by the time that this podcast comes out, we should have two dot two released. So, all right, well, let's start there. What's new in 2.2? What's new in 2.2? Um, I'm not sure the exact lineup that will be released, but the, the cool announcement is that we've set up a release cycle um, with Drupal Commerce, and we're going to be doing so with some contrib. So the first Wednesday of every month, we plan to do a new release of Drupal Commerce. Um, we want to get people off dev. We want contrib modules to have a schedule that they can use for their own releases. Like, okay, we know that there's this new feature coming in Drupal Commerce. Next month on Wednesday it will release. We can release on the second Wednesday. And we picked Wednesday to kind of coincide with the security releases. Mm -hmm. So people are going to be monitoring Drupal.org anyways for releases. 
if we do have a security release, we can kind of time it all together. So what does that do? So that, you know, I, I would imagine that is going to put a little bit more work on you and Boyan and, and, and Ryan and anybody else to meet that monthly schedule to make sure that whatever's, whatever's there is, is ready to be. Yeah, which, I mean, we have a lot of test coverage. I mean, so far we have, uh, I just looked at the project pages, 433 passes. Um, and we take a very, I, I put a TDD approach. Like, we don't commit a patch unless there's tests around it. So just like core. And we have, we have tests running on Drupal CI and Travis CI, testing as many possible environment scenarios as we can. And it's kind of one, when the release comes, it's not like an issue will block it. We'll just release it. So if it's only bug fixes, it's only bug fixes. Um, but we do have a roadmap in the issue queue. If you go into the issue queue and search for um, 2.x roadmap, we have items that we're highlighting, um, that we're highlighting and focusing on. And those are things that you can see come through with each minor release. Um, for example, we have issues with multilingual and add to cart. I've broken up that patch into several ones and I'm hoping that lands for 2.2. So 2.2 we should have a lot of multilingual bugs fixed. Um, and to go with, like I said, with that release cycle, to help contrib, um, it, once 2.2 releases, we could say Commerce Recurring will get a release the second Wednesday of every month because it can pull in upstream changes. Um, you know, maybe it's going to reduce an API. Maybe there's a bug fix. Um, maybe, you know, who knows what, but it needs to pull that in. Same with our gateways. Let's say that we had an unfortunate breaking change in the, the gateway API and the payments API. Well, since we know that we're going to be releasing on this Wednesday, we could coordinate like an emergency release with all the different payment gateway maintainers. Um, so that's kind of our ongoing effort to stabilize the ecosystem and, you know, get people off old releases or dev releases, even an issue that we saw in Drupal 7. So let me ask you a question. Let's go back in time a little bit, because I, I know that when Commerce 2.0 first came out, um, there's a lot of a lot of talk about it. Um, what's changed since 2.0? Let's let's go there. So it was mostly bug fixes. Um added panelizer integration, which I've actually been using quite a bit, but it was mostly bug fixes because we've been working on recurring and dunning and license, that whole framework of allowing subscriptions. So there was some API fixes that went into there, such as like an interval object. Um, so it's mostly was bug fixes, not so much big features, where 2.1 should see some more, or 2.2, so to see some features land, um, such as, like I said, the multilingual fixes. How about, so I know that, um, you know, in Drupal 7, the, the commerce kickstart distribution was something that got quite a bit of attention because, you know, people would download it and install it and use it both for uh, demo purposes. I actually talked about this in a previous podcast, um, you know, a couple, couple months ago now. Um, talking about different kinds of Drupal distributions and where and Kickstart we use as an example as something that I think a lot of people use just to like demo, like what can commerce do? But then there were other people who, you know, use that as the foundation for their site moving forward. Um, so have you guys talked about doing something 
um, either for demo purposes or for a, a kind of a starting point for commerce for Drupal 8? Yeah, we're that's in flux at the moment. Um, commerce Kickstart at the old Commerce Guys kind of had like dedicated time and funding. Like no, it received just as much attention as Drupal Commerce itself. Um, and we've kind of haven't been able to give it that this time around because this also wasn't necessarily like a re- like it didn't it doesn't always make sense. Like having the demos there, but focusing on Drupal Commerce partner plugins, all that does make sense. Um, as for demos, I know Acromedia has a demo. I think it's called like commercedemo.acromedia.com. Um, there's another one I cannot recall the name of, but it's like website work.space. And they have this mind-blowingly cool Drupal Commerce 2 demo that they're working on. So the community has actually taken some effort and like helped patch some of these things together. Um, an update on our end is we are creating an out-of-the-box experience theme called Belgrade. And that's actually, you can go to drupal.org slash project slash Belgrade and see some of the mocks. And that's, our, that's one of our things that we want to contribute is this out-of-the-box theme that people can use. And we've had talks like, well, will Commerce Kickstart and Drupal 8 land be like a composer project builder where you go to a website and you say, I want FedEx, Braintree, and build it off of Lightning. And it maybe has like a demo module in it. So we're trying to rethink of what will be Commerce Kickstart. And also, um, I wasn't part of the Commerce Kickstart stuff in Drupal 7. That was before I was even involved in Drupal. But Commerce Kickstart dealt with a lot of the hard problems with building a profile and distribution in Drupal 7. We're already built, tackling a lot of hard problems in Drupal 8, so it's kind of nice to see that Acquia with Lightning and then Thunder CMS are handling those hard problems with how do you build a distribution in Drupal, because is it a composer template or is it still a profile? Like, what is it? What does it look like? Um, so it's kind of nice seeing them kind of pave the way, and then we can take those lessons learned with like our demo theme and provide something. So it's still up in the air. I would like to see a Commerce Kickstart 3 or whatever whatever it is, whether it's an installer with like a separate demo module. We, we are working on what an out-of-the-box solution looks like though. Yeah, that was definitely some, that was definitely a, the, the main topic of this, this podcast with Dave Hall that I was just mentioning is, you know, there, there seems to be different kinds of, of, of of distributions and one of them is um and you know obviously go back and listen to you know podcast one i'm gonna guess it was 198 i think with dave hall um where we talked about one type of distribution that was more just of a start of a starting point for a site um and you weren't tied to that distribution moving forward like you are in drupal 7 where if you start a project with panoply you have to, if you, that site needs to be updated you have to wait you know, hopefully you won't have to wait, but you might have to wait for the for a, a new version of Panoply to be released. And Panoply is a really bad example because they did a really outstanding job of. Yeah, because David is on top of. No, it's a, no. A, an example is Commerce Kickstart. That that like you know that like the updates. I I'm better now, but for a while I was so busy that I really slay. I was very sluggish on the updates. Um, and we used to have a community member that provided a lot of those patches and kind of helped poke and prod with it. But, you know, they, I think they're just stable. I don't know what happened to them. But, you know, a, the distribution updates are blocked by me. Um, 
And you're clearly you're not doing enough. So. <laughs> but it's one thing too, like composer builds, like the the profiles has to. I know Aqua, the Lightning, and Thunder have composer templates which use the profile, and I think that kind of helps mitigate dependency um, issues too. Because right now. But then again, if people don't want to use Composer, they want to build Tarball on Drupal.org. They, they, so there's issues. We've just combined two of the biggest issues into one issue right here. Yeah, so there's issues, and I'm kind of I'm watching what Lightning and Thunder do. I'm toying with demo content. Like I have a demo module which which runs a migration that imports some demo products. We're working on the demo theme, seeing what some community members are doing. And there will definitely be some kind of like out of the box experience people can play with. It's just instead of, you know, not working on Drupal Commerce, not working on payment gateways, you know, not doing consulting work to, you know, pay our paychecks, it's it's kind of just been sidelined for a bit. Which is completely understandable, right? Because, you know, need to need to, you know, feed the family and stuff. So alrighty. Um so I'm looking at the time. Let's kind of uh, wrap up this interview. I think we've covered everything I had in mind for both the book and kind of a commerce update. Is there anything you think we missed? No, I think that covers covers just about most of it. The big news for Drupal Commerce is the release cycle recurring. Um, oh, I guess Commerce stock hit an unblock, like uh, resolved the blocker, so that's chugging along as well. Um, you know, it, it's just. It's neat. We have a really strong community inside Drupal Commerce itself. So shout out to anybody that's contributed to Drupal Commerce or its contrib. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the uh, the, the stars of the Drupal project is, is that whole kind of sub-community. And there's some, I mean, I don't want to get into it now, but I mean, there's some really big sites around the world using Drupal Commerce for Drupal 8 right now. There's a lot rolling out. I can even send the link, but like we just send, people keep sending us links and like, holy cow. Yeah, well, that's. I think a lot of that is a testament to the architecture and the fact that it's it was written in a way. Um, and again, it's probably I'm going to say this, but I'm pretty sure I heard it from Ryan at some point where it was written in a way where you're not assuming the type of commerce site that people are building. You're just making it as flexible as possible so people can build um, sites the way they need them using you know the various commerce parts and pieces. Let's move on to Drupal Easy News real quick. Um, our uh, next long-form class that's starting up is called Mastering Drupal Development Workflows with Pantheon. Uh, it is a six-week class. We meet three half days a week. Uh, it's all online using GoToMeeting. Um, this class uh, that's coming up really focuses on Drupal 8 development best practices. We use a lot of Composer. Um, we also talk a lot about uh, professional Drupal developer development workflows, um, especially uh, that utilize the Pantheon platform. So we talk about multi-dev and you know, moving from dev to test alive and configuration management and all that stuff, um, as well as leveraging like Pantheon Solar server and, and you know, search API and all that, that good stuff. So that will begin on February 27th. Um, you can go to DrupalEasy.com. There's a big banner on the homepage. You click on it, get all the information you, you need on it, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll have a full class uh, starting the end of February. And while I'm thinking about it, I should say thank you publicly. Matt, you are actually uh, mentoring one of our current students. Um, and I hear from her all of the kind of amazing 
uh, stuff that she's working on. So I can't thank you enough for doing that. It's it's uh, mentors like you who kind of, you know, I can, you know, in, in the confines of the class, I can only get so far because there's, you know, a certain checklist of fundamentals I have to cover. Um, but where our mentors like you really help is every student that we have has their own kind of motivations and goals. And when I can match up a student with a mentor who can kind of help them progress towards those goals, that's just a win for everybody, I think. So uh, thanks for doing that. And thanks to all of our other mentors as well. Um, so uh, five questions. We have a new or uh, say revised list of five questions uh, starting from episode 201, our, our previous episode. Um, so some of the questions have stayed the same, some are new, so let's just get going. Uh, name something interesting you do, Matt, outside of Drupal. Um, so one thing I started to do is coffee. Because um, I need a hob- I needed a hobby, and Ryan actually got me into doing like pour-over coffee and like being a coffee snob, if you will. Um, so like I've really kind of gone whole hog into that, and I'm sick of always being behind a computer. So I actually built a, a brewing station out of like some copper pipe and at a few little local events I might be doing um, just selling like pour over coffees and all that kind of stuff just so I can do something outside of work. All right, so I'm going to need a little bit of explanation on this because so I understand like pour over coffee, I think, but I, like where, where do the copper pipes come in? Oh, so uh, it, it's that, that's more so for just like the look, the aesthetics. So basically I built a stand that the coffee, that the cones can stand on. Um, so, so I have a stand that holds six of them so I can make six cups of coffee at once. Um, I've got a little jar so I can have like a light and a dark roast and I bought some moaning syrup so I can just basically set up a little coffee stand at some of these events and sell people fresh coffee instead of the Folgers that's been sitting in a carafe for three hours. So do you buy beans and then roast them yourselves? So I'm going to be buying beans from a roaster in Madison that I'm a really big fan of called Just Coffee. They're a cooperative that does some really awesome stuff and has really good coffee. So I'm going to score, I'm going to be buying bags of beans from them and then grinding them and kind of serving it up. It's my way to like do something fun that's work that's not normal work and I get to talk to people. Fantastic. All right. Um, name your favorite movie. So my favorite movie is The Departed. Is I'm not a movie person at all, but that movie came out and I saw it in the theaters like three times, and then like a friend got a bootleg and I watched it about like 15 more times and I bought it. And I've never liked a movie. I've never really been a big movie person, but for some reason like that just hit the spot. That is a that's a, that's a really good movie. I would actually say. Uh, Sometimes for me, like I've watched it more than you know, probably half a dozen times. Some some of that movie's hard to watch. Yeah, and it's just really well put together. the The cast is great, and I think it's funny. I'm pretty sure there's only one song for the entire soundtrack, and that's "Shipping Up to Boston" by Dropkick Murphys. Like, there's literally not much for like a soundtrack, and like it's just there's lots of things about the movie that I really like. Yeah, there's a lot of symbolism with, especially with the X's. So I don't want to spoil it too much, but no, really good movie. Amazing cast. I mean, it's, it's got just an amazing cast. So um, how about your favorite music artist? Um, so my favorite music artist is a band called the Suicide Machines that I think they've been broken up for like 10 years now. They were out of Detroit and they were kind of the first band that I got into um, that got me into like punk and ska back in the day. 
if anybody played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1, they had the song New Girl, um, which they have a lot more songs beyond that. And they kind of got me into the music scene and all that. All right. Very good. Um, and now that I think about it, we probably I've asked you these five questions before. And I, I think this next question, well, let me ask this one. So what's the last exotic animal you hand felled? You hand felled. You hand-fed. So there's a pumpkin farm in town, and they have a petting zoo, and they got kangaroos. Like, I don't know where they came from, and I didn't even know they had them till all of a sudden in the newspaper, one got loose. And there's, like, this long article about how people saw it and thought they were crazy because they saw a kangaroo. But the local pumpkin farm has a kangaroo that you can go feed and pet. That's fantastic. Does it have a name? I don't know. <laughs> And what did it eat? What did you feed it? Oh, I don't know. It was just like some kind of feed. I have no idea what it was, but I was just more so like feeding the kangaroo. This sounds like a plot of like a, like, like, a, like a daytime movie or something you would see. Like the local farm has a kangaroo and gets loose. And All right. So I, actually, I, I, I remember your answer to the next question. We normally ask what your tipping point Drupal moment is, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say whatever answer you give us now is probably the same as when you were on before. So I'm going to switch it up. Um, I'm going to go really old school on this. We used to ask the question of um, name someone in the Drupal community that we should be keeping an eye on, like an up and comer. Is there anybody you have in mind who you've worked with, you know, and I'm thinking specifically in the commerce space, who's doing some really cool stuff that is, you know, new to the community or, Maybe not new, but it's, it's starting to really get involved that we should be keeping an eye on. Yeah. Um, so really, oh, man, I get signed out of Drupal Slack. So it's almost anybody in the commerce Drupal Slack. There's like 10 individuals um, you know, that I can think of that are just making huge impact. And like, I wish I, could, I upgraded to High Sierra and it like screwed up Slack. So I, I can't see anybody's usernames. There's so many people in the commerce Drupal Slack that are just, you know, they're one either like seeing them grow. Um, I can't remember the handle, but I believe his name is Matt. Like he came in and was like, I need UPS shipping. And I was like, well, shipping just got done and these people are working on FedEx. And he's like, I'm not really a, if I'm recalling right, it's like, I'm not really a backend developer. He wrote it. He got it done. Like I haven't tested it yet, but people are using it. And there's um, this, I believe it's Sophie SK's her handle from Microserve is like super active. Like there's, there's like this budding group of contributors. I don't know if they're new contributors, but a lot I've seen like on Drupal.org for a while, but it seems like activity has been growing and it's just really cool seeing like if commerce is kind of helping um, incubate that. Um, so it, it does anybody in the Drupal commerce Slack is, definitely up and coming and people to keep eyes on. All right. Fantastic. And that's a good tidbit of information as well. That, that, that if you, if, if you're working with Drupal commerce, that uh, the, the commerce channel on Slack is a, uh, is a good place to go. Yeah. Or even just Drupal eight questions. We have people come in with just like general questions, but they know we're, I looked at the analytics and we're the most active Slack channel. Oh, really? Yeah. We're more active than contribute in general. That must take up a good portion of your day, I would guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Very good, Matt. Um, as always, great to talk to you. Tell me, um, where can people find you online? Um, online, you can find me at Twitter, 
with the handle nmdmat. And then I'm on LinkedIn, just search for my name. And then drupal.org, my handle is mglamen. All right, fantastic. And you know, once again, definitely check out uh, Matt's book called Drupal 8 Development Cookbook, second edition. We will have a link in the show notes if you want to pick yourself up a copy of that. Um, thanks again to our... Oh, you know what? I think I forgot to talk about our sponsor. Oh, I'm a bad podcaster. So let me give them some love right now. Uh, Drupal Aid. Um, DrupalAid.com. They were born out of the Drupal Geddon disaster, so to speak, of 2014. That, that was a really big um, security issue that was found and patched in Drupal Core three over three years ago, almost four years ago now. Um, when that happened, they realized there was an opportunity to support the literally thousands of sites that had to be patched, you know, possibly millions of sites. Um, they actually went and they helped um, repair hundreds of sites and they decided that this was a business they wanted to be in. So they kind of started up a Drupal support and maintenance service for uh, Drupal uh, core version 6, 7, and 8. Uh, plans start at less than 100 bucks a month, no setup fees, um, same day security updates. So this is really great. If you maintain a bunch of Drupal sites or just maintain one for your organization and you don't want to have to worry about you know, being sure that you are there the minute a Drupal security release uh, or Drupal security update is released, um, contract it out to uh, DrupalAid.com and, and let them worry about that. They will apply security patches on the same day they are released. Um, when you start with them, they if you have been hacked, they will provide complimentary um, uh, malware hacking cleanup for any of their clients. Um, they have a flat rate host-to-host um, -host Drupal migrations, hosting migrations. So if you are self-hosting somewhere and you want to move to somewhere else, they will help you do that for a, a, a flat rate. Um, some of their plans um, include daily off-site back backups with various levels of support all the way up to unlimited support plans. So if you have any issue with their site, you can contact them and they will help you get it figured out. Um, their pro plan has an average response time for any issue of uh, under eight hours, so same day service. So you're definitely gonna wanna check them out at drupalaid.com. Okay, so uh, we also wanna mention, of course, webenable.com and devpanel.com for their continued support. If you like this episode, by all means, go to iTunes or Miro or Google Play and subscribe and listen to all of our old and upcoming episodes. And I think that's just about it. I think we're done. So Matt, as always, great to talk to you. Congrats on the book. Thanks for all of your hard work with uh, Drupal Commerce and just kind of helping grow the community. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Anytime. Well, not anytime. I don't, you know. We'll have you on a lot, but I don't know if we'll have it on every podcast yet. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, always great to hear from you. Um, you know, definitely let me know um, if there's any big updates to the book in the future or with Drupal Commerce that we can uh, throw you a shout out or get you back on the podcast. Um, and with that, I'll say, uh, I'll say goodbye and we'll see everybody on the next Drupal Easy Podcast. See ya!